time when kings go out to battle, David stayed home and he sent Joab in his place. And so then uh, David goes up and he's up on the roof of his palace and he's just killing time. He's looking around and he notices Bathsheba. He notices a beautiful woman and she is bathing and he begins to uh, gaze at her. He begins to lust over her body. He inquires about Bathsheba and he finds out that she is a married woman. Now, for most, that would be a good time to stop. But David sends someone and brings her to his home. And so Bathsheba is brought to his home. They sleep together, and then David sends her away. David has what he wants. He's done with her. He thinks his life can now go back to normal. But she sends a message that she is pregnant. And so that's where we left this morning. That's where we're going to pick up uh, this evening Really don't have a whole lot of points. I just want you to notice tonight the contrast between David and Uriah. Notice the contrast as we look at the text together between David and Uriah. You see, David finds himself in a royal mess. You get it? He's a king. Okay, thank you. He's in a royal mess. How do you respond when you find yourself in trouble? How do you respond when you look around at your life and you realize that I have really made some poor decisions? When you you look around and you shake your head and you say, I cannot believe I did that. What was I thinking? You ever done that? You ever just said, man, what was I thinking? How, how How did I get to this point? What led me to this point in my life? And how do you respond when that happens? As we look through David, we're going to learn more what we should not do than what we should do. So look at chapter 11, beginning in verse 6. It says, So David sent word to Joab and said, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. So David is thinking about a situation. We don't know how much time has passed, but David received this word that Bathsheba is pregnant. And he begins to think to himself, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do in this situation And David comes up with what he believes is a good plan. He believes that his royal power is sufficient for the task. You see, David believes that he is still in control, and he believes that he still dominates the story. I believe that in life we have two options. We can be self-reliant, or we can be God-reliant. We can go through life and we can depend upon ourselves, and we can depend upon our strength and we can depend upon our intellect or we can go through life and we can depend upon God. Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. Where do you look when you have a problem in life? Uriah arrives in Jerusalem And David appears to be greatly concerned. He begins to ask questions 
How is the battle going? How is Joab doing? How's the war coming about? How are we doing in this situation? He appears to be greatly concerned, but yet we know it's hypocritical. The Bible doesn't even give us the answer. It's as if David just lets him talk. David just lets him babble on and on and on. And do you know why? The reason is because David does not care. David does not care about the battle. David does not care about Joab. David does not care about his troops. David does not care about his country. In this moment, all David cares about, all that is driving David is covering up his mistake. He doesn't matter what that costs. He does not care about the collateral damage. All he wants to do is cover up his mistake. And so Uriah talks and answers the questions, but David doesn't even listen. And for us that are reading the story, there's got to be a question in our heart. Why does God allow this to continue? All the hypocrisy, all the evil intent, why does God allow this? And, and I don't know, but in my heart, the reason is that God is giving David every last chance to repent. Every opportunity, David, turn around. David, realize what you're doing. David, realize the path that you're on and repent. You see, David is on a slippery slope. And every verse that we read, he's getting further and further and further away from God. Every verse that we look at, every section that we begin to study, we see that David is going away from what he knows, and he is separating himself from God. And as the story continues, it gets worse and worse. But there's the question, what about Uriah? What kind of man is Uriah going to prove to be? There, there's three things we know about Uriah. Number one, we know that he is a Hittite. He is not even from the covenant people of God. Number two, we know that he is married to a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And number three, we know that he is a soldier and he has been fighting on behalf of David. That is all that we know about Uriah. That is all the Bible, that is all that the text gives us. And so Uriah comes and he begins to tell David the answers to these questions. And at the end of it, David says, okay, well, why don't you go and wash your feet? Now, that doesn't mean much to us. What is he talking about when he says, wash your feet? Many scholars believe that is a euphemism for sex. They say he's saying, why don't you go and enjoy your wife? At the very least, it means to go to your home, relax, and enjoy yourself. And so David is trying to lead Uriah to go home. You'll see in the, the next verse, you'll see that he even sends a gift. You know why he sends a gift? He sends a gift so that Uriah will believe that the king is well pleased with him. And so he will just totally let his guard down, and he will take it as though he is on a leave of absence, and he can go home and just enjoy life. And what David is hoping, here's the whole intent, David is hoping that Uriah will go home, he will relax, he will sleep with his wife, and when he comes back home from battle and there's a little one, that Uriah will believe it is his son. 
And so it's a cover-up. It's a cover-up in his whole plot, his whole intention. David's, David's core of all of this is to get Uriah to go home and to sleep with his wife. I want you to notice that David is desperate. It's true that people will do incredible things when they are desperate. When you find yourself in a desperate situation, you will do things that you never thought you would be able to do. Seems like a great plan, doesn't it? I mean, from the outside, as we look at it, it makes sense. David, this could work. And I imagine David's looking at his plan, and he's thinking, man, I am so smart. That's why I'm the king, because I've got this brain power, and I can manipulate everybody, and I can put this into place, and I'm going to get away with this scot-free. Nobody's going to know it. Uriah's going to be fooled. The town's going to be fooled. Everybody's going to be fooled, and I can finally get back to my normal way of life. Because when you find yourself in sin, that's all you long for. You long to get back to a normal way of life. And David believes he has finally figured it out. It says in verse 8, And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. And when they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Three times in this section, the point is made that Uriah did not go home. Uriah stayed, and instead of going home, he slept by the door of the palace. He just camped out. And David is thinking about this, and he just cannot imagine. Why is he doing this? What is the point? And so he goes, and he asks the question, why did you not go home? Now look at the response in verse 11. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Do you see his reasoning? It's so incredible to me because he talks about the ark of the Lord and Israel. The Hittite mentions the covenant symbol of Israel, and that is what influences his behavior. He talks about the, the covenant promise of God. And he said, as long as that is out on the battlefield, as long as, as the, the troops are out fighting, there's no way that I can go and relax. And then he even says this. He says, and, and lie with my wife. He must know that that is what David wants him to do. And so he says, there's no way that I can do that. It just would not be right. And for the first time we see Uriah, and we see that he is a man of great integrity. We see that even though it would be okay, even though he has permission from David, his, his heart will not let him go and relax while his comrades are still out fighting. We see Uriah's got more character. He's got more integrity than David. And all of a sudden, the, the plan starts to unravel for David. And he begins to think to himself, what am I going to do now? 
I've got to go back to the drawing board. I've got to come up with a plan. Because if I don't come up with a plan, everybody's going to find out what I've done. If I don't come up with a plan, then I'm going to ruin my reputation. Whereas everybody was singing, Saul killed his thousands and David killed his tens of thousands. If they know what I've done, then all this is going to change. And so he's trying to hide it. And as he's trying to hide it, he says, I've got to come up with another plan. I've got to come up with something new. So look at verse 12. Let's see his next plan. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I'll send you back. And so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. You see, David is, is slippery on the slippery slope, and he comes up with a plan now when he says, I know what I can do. If I get him drunk, he'll go home and he'll be with his wife. And so the Bible says that David begins to entertain Uriah. Can you imagine? He throws a party. There's a, a party scene going. And I can just imagine that every chance he gets, he's saying, here, Uriah, take a drink. Here, Uriah, have a drink. And he's giving him more and he's giving him more and he's giving him more. And every time Uriah takes a drink, David thinks, I've got him now. I can get him to do just what I want him to do. I can finally manipulate him, and I can finally put this whole matter behind me. But where does Uriah go? He goes back with the servants, and he doesn't go home. You know what the irony is in this text? The irony is that Uriah has more integrity drunk than David does sober. If you, many of you, you were here this morning. David is a man of selfishness. David cares about no one but himself. He doesn't care who he hurts. He doesn't care who he takes advantage of. David looks around and everything that I see is for my taking. But Uriah comes on the scene and he's selfless. He doesn't give in to his lust. He does not give in to the flesh. He's a man that stands on what is right. He stands on his principle. And can you imagine as David sees this and he just cannot understand it? It is a, a total reversal. It is the total opposite. And, and you would expect, you would expect for the, the Israelite king to be the hero, for the Israelite king to be the protagonist. But all of a sudden we look and this, this foreigner comes in to the, the scene. He comes in to the drama that's unfolding. And he is the man of great character. And it's a total contrast to David. Look at verse 14. I know we're covering a lot. We've got to get, get through this so we can get to the next part. Verse 14, it says, In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were strong men. And the men of the city came out and they fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people 
fell. And Uriah the Hittite also died. Now think about this. Think about when David was on top of that palace. And he's looking around and, you know, it's just a good day. And he's walking around, not a care in the world. And then he looks over and he sees this woman. And it's just a glance and then it turns into a gaze. But do you think there was anything in his heart that could ever believe that this would lead him to murder? I don't think so. I think if you would have asked David, would you be capable of such a thing? Is there any way that you could come to the point that you would kill someone to cover up sin? I think David would say, there's no way. I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that to my fellow man, and I could not do that to God. Because listen, let me tell you how good God has been to me. God anointed me to be the king. God was with me when I fought Goliath. God has been with me throughout my battles. God has been with me when Saul was after me. I am, I am too devoted to God to consider such an evil act. And I think he would say there's no way that I would ever do that. But we see that one sin leads to the next and it leads to the next, and it leads to the next, and it leads to the next. And oftentimes, sin grows, and it gets larger, and it gets larger. And there are many, many people, many of us have been at this point, and we look at our life, and we begin to wonder, how did I get here? I never believed that I could have gotten here. I never would have guessed that I could have gotten so far away from God. And David, he, he's so caught up in this, he cannot even see it. He's manipulating this man. He's getting this man drunk. And now he writes a letter and he places it in the hand of Uriah. It is his death warrant. And he says, go and deliver this to Joab. And Uriah takes his death warrant and he walks it and he hands it to Joab. And Joab is in a... A very bad situation. Can you imagine Joab when he opened this letter and he reads what David wants him to do? He's put in the, the place of being loyal to the king and killing his men. He knows it's going to lead to death, not only of Uriah, but to, to other fighting men, other good men, other faithful men, other strong men. And Uriah's got to make this, this choice. I mean, Joab's got to make this choice. You see, David doesn't care. He doesn't care what it costs. He doesn't care about the men's lives or their families. He doesn't care about anything except for covering up sin. You see, sin will ruin relationships. Anybody ever seen that? Maybe in your family? The way that sin has ruined relationships? You take someone and um, maybe they get an addiction in their life. You take someone and they get a, a drug addiction, you know what they will do for the next drug? Absolutely anything. They will steal. They will take things to the pawn shop. They will do things that you never believe they could because they must get that next hit. And it ruins relationships. No doubt there's some relationships in this room right now and, and people that you know and relationships have been ruined on the basis of sin. There was loss of life. It says some of the servants of David and Uriah. And so there's many, there's many who were killed because of this. 
And then there's a, a messenger. Look at verse 22. It says, so the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. And the messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. And then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. And some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite died also. He comes with a report, and David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. Do you catch David's response? The message comes, and it is a, a, a dooming message. Listen, David, we were in battle, and we have lost many men. It was bad. We were going up, and all of a sudden the archers came up, and they began to shoot, and there was death, and there was blood, and it was not good. But David seems unfazed by it. Do you catch it? David practically says, you know what? That's just a part of battle. It's just a part of war. It's just one of those things that happens. Encourage Joab. Tell him it's going to be okay. Don't fret about it. Don't worry about it. It's really not that big of a deal. This is what these men signed up for. It's just a part of the battle that we are in. And he pushes it along like it is no big deal. Can you imagine how hard his heart is at this point? To hear that there has been a loss of life. And, and it talks about these men as though they have served David for a long time. And so there is this relationship between David and the men. But he comes to the place, and he's not angry. He's not upset. He's not taken back by it. And we know why. Because this is exactly the result that David wanted. David has been longing for this since he sent the letter. All he wanted to see was that Uriah is dead. If Uriah is dead, then it is a job well done. Good job, Joab. Now my life can finally get back to normal. David does not mourn. He is flippant in his response. Oh, well, that is a soldier's sad fate. And then we close up verse 26. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So the morning goes, they have the service, everything's going back to normal. Just because David doesn't cry doesn't mean no one cries. You can imagine that Bathsheba is broken. She is weeping. The town comes together. They're supporting this woman. And then what does David do? David does the noble thing. And he goes and he takes this poor widow and he brings her into his home. And do you know what the outsiders would say? Isn't David a good man? Isn't David just glorious? Look at David. He cares so much about this poor woman that he is going to bring her in and he is going to take care of her. 
Isn't David great? And all the way, David has this smile because he said, I did it, I did it, I did it. I finally made it all come together. People think I am a good man. They think I'm the hero. Nobody's ever going to know the difference Everything has worked out. It cost more than I wanted it to. It took longer than I expected it to. But finally, everything is in line and my life can go back to normal. But there's one line in there that tells us what's to come. One line that gives us foreshadowing of the next chapter. Did you see it? It says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And we are reminded that God sees all. God knows all. And David, just like we talked about this morning, David can fool the whole town. And David can fool his soldiers. And he can fool his leaders. And he can fool everyone around him. But God looks down at what David has done. And God is not pleased. And God is not done. You see, I want you to realize Galatians 6, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that also will he reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You see, there are times in life, listen to me now, there are times in life that we look and we see evil around us and we begin to think, why does God put up with that? Why does God allow it? It seems like like they're just going in the opposite direction and they're doing so much evil, but yet their life is easy. But I want to remind you, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also will he reap. So don't grow weary in doing good. Don't get to the point that you say, well, why am I even trying? Well, why am I coming to, to church and being faithful and, and being faithful in my giving and doing all of this when it looks like the easiest road is just to live for myself? David looked good. I mean, he's doing what he wants in life. He's selfish. He's living for number one, and his life looks easy. But the story is not finished. The story is not done. God knows what David has done. God will get justice for what David has done. Now, I believe that God was giving David every chance to repent. And instead of repenting, David kept going further and further and further until finally in this moment, God says, that's enough. It's too late, David. And then we move on to see how God responds. But it could be that in our life, There's unconfessed sin. And God is still giving us the chance to repent. God is still giving us the chance to turn from our sin and to come home to him. And then it's up to us. Will we repent or will we have to get to the point where God says, that's enough. Now watch what I'm going to do. And you know the story. You know what happens to David. You know the terrible consequence upon his life. You know that this is, this is one thing that David was trying to hide with all of his might, but it is one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. It's something that David wanted no one to ever know about. But we all know the story. 
I'm reminded of the cycle of sin. James 1, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's the cycle we see with David. He was tempted. He had a desire in his heart. He sinned with Bathsheba. And then it led to death. And that's the cycle of sin even today. Sin is not something to play around with. Sin is something that is to bring our destruction. And so as we close, I want you to ask yourself this question. Who am I in this text? Am I more like a David or am I more like Uriah? Am I David? Am I selfish? Or am I Uriah who is selfless? Am I David who is driven by lust? Or am I Uriah who is driven by integrity? Am I David who will stop at nothing to get what I want? Or am I Uriah who will stop at nothing in order to do what is right? Am I David who appears to be a man of great power and a man of control, but I cannot even control myself? Or am I Uriah who's a common man with very limited authority, but I've got great control of myself? David is selfish. Uriah is selfless. David is concerned only with himself. Uriah is only concerned with others. David believes he answers to no one, and Uriah knows that he answers to many. And I just wonder in your life, which one are you closer to? I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about it. This morning, tonight, we've seen the actions of David. And while I I don't imagine that For many of us in here, we have been led as far as David. 